Hello and welcome to Truer Love Stories, a podcast dedicated to real people wanting to create real love. I'm your host, Taryn Newton-Gill. In each episode, we'll explore the stories of people who are at a crossroads in their love life. I'll help our guests navigate their personal love story by providing them with holistic ways of writing a new, more empowered narrative around love, one that's truly aligned with who they are and what they want. Welcome to our kickoff episode of Truer Love Stories. I think our story today is the perfect intro to this podcast because it's a story I know many of us can relate to. How to let go of someone who isn't right for us, but who we are deeply attached to. The type of detachment necessary to let go of this kind of relationship can feel akin to processing a death. And it takes a lot of time, tools, patience, and a whole lot of self-compassion to get through it. But doing so also means moving on to real love, love that's going to empower us and make us feel like we've come home to ourselves. So with all that in mind, let's hear our guest's story. All right, welcome to the show. So you came to me because you've broken up with your ex of about two years and you said you were pretty independent and secure throughout the relationship, but he wasn't really meeting your emotional needs after a while. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And so you tried to break up with him more than once. And finally, as of this past February, you did? Yeah. And you've been broken up since then? Mm-hmm. Okay. But you're having a hard time with it and would like to know kind of how to move on from it. Yeah, I'm having a really hard time moving on and putting it behind me and processing it. So can you tell me a, a little bit more about how your relationship began and then maybe where it started to turn? Yeah. So I guess I will just speak to like kind of where I was at emotionally around the time that I met him. So I was coming from a place of having, you know, I was using the apps. I was trying to meet people and go on dates and I could never really get to a point where it was going to develop into something long-term, but I knew that that was something that was very important to me. And I really wanted that. And of course, like, you know, I started thinking like, it's me, there's something wrong with me. But then I came to the realization that like, not everybody wants that. So something that I'm really looking for is that kind of criteria of I want to find someone who also wants to be in a commitment and a long-term commitment. And so I was searching for that. And I ended up meeting someone who we didn't have a lot in common, I guess, but we did have that one very core thing in common that we both were looking for a long-term commitment. And that was, you know, priority to me. That was really important. And um, so I guess that's how we like started the relationship, you know, with that mindset of like, we both knew that we wanted to commit to one person and we did. We're, we were also friends. We did have a lot in common. You know what I mean? It wasn't like we just both only wanted this one thing. You know, we got along really, really well. It's just, you know, when you get to that point of starting to build a deeper emotional connection, um, that it just kind of became clear that we weren't really approaching the relationship in the same way. Can you explain that a little bit and what you mean by not approaching it in the same way? Um, I feel like I got to this point where I really wanted to think of our relationship as like this, like team mentality. Like what are 
our combined strengths and weaknesses and how can we be the best that we can be for each other and together. And I was really trying to take on, like I said, this like team mentality. And I just felt that he wasn't able to go there with me. And so there just became a lot of like me approaching him as like, this is something that I need. How can we figure this out together to meet our collective needs? And it, instead of it being interpreted that way, I think he was just interpreting it as me coming to him with a need and then being very disappointed when he couldn't when he meet that need. Yeah, you can express that to me. There can be communication around why that need can't be met. And let's talk about it. Again, team mentality. Let's talk mm. about it. So he had trouble maybe feeling like he could meet your needs, it sounds like. Yeah, and I, at a certain point, had felt like I was doing all I could to meet his needs based on what he was communicating with me. But I don't know that we actually got to the point of having clear communication about what our needs were. Did he ever say clearly what his needs were? I thought that he did, and he would say that he did. But then when the moment came that I would do the thing that was what I thought he needed, it's like it wasn't helping. We weren't getting anywhere. Can you give me any kind of example of him kind of expressing a need that you thought you were meeting and then it wasn't the case once you tried? Yeah, so I guess in communication in general, so this is like, this is something that repeatedly happened, um, but yet doesn't feel very specific, but this was a pattern that repeated in our conversations that we would have, which was Mm -hmm. he might express like, I feel like you're not listening to me or you're not hearing me out. I would hear, okay, he doesn't feel heard. I need to create the space for him to speak and for me to listen. And so I tried that throughout so many conversations to be like, like the floor is yours kind of thing. Like, I want to listen. Please share with me what it is you feel like I'm not listening to or I'm not hearing. And I would Mm -hmm. try my best to invite that. And then even when he had the opportunity, it felt like he wasn't really using that space to clearly state this is what I need. Mm. Okay. And just for context, um, you know, I work in attachment theory and a lot of our understandings of how we relate to people and connect with them is based off whoever we were raised by, usually our parents, but sometimes it's a different primary caregiver. And so do you happen to know in his situation, did he come from a heteronormative home where there were two parents? Did he have a single parent? Are you able to speak on that at all? Yeah. So both of his parents were working like full-time in their careers and his aunt was primarily the caregiver. Okay. So first of all, I just want to say that I know you took my attachment quiz before we hopped on here and you got secure. And that makes a lot of sense to me because the way that you're thinking about relationships and the way that you were approaching this one, it sounds like you do have a secure attachment style, the team mentality, the trying to figure out each other's needs, the trying to have that safe space to communicate it. That's all really wonderful and a secure way to approach it. It sounds to me a little bit, because I know you said prior to our call as well, that you started to feel like he emotionally ghosted you, right? Yeah. That maybe he was, you know, he wanted the commitment, you wanted the commitment, and he was physically present. He would call you back. You know, it's not the typical kind of cliche of ghosting where you never hear from them. That never happened to you. But that the way you described it to me was that emotionally you felt he became withdrawn and not present as much. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I just want to say, first of all, it's much easier for us to understand our own attachment styles versus other people because we know what's going on emotionally in our head and in our bodies um, and in our hearts. 
So it's a little easier, but there are certain kind of signs or indications of people's attachment styles. And this makes a big difference because I know I've told you a little bit about attachment prior to this, but, you know, attachment dictates so much of how we feel safe being vulnerable and expressing our emotions and what you're very properly calling needs in a relationship. And there's some things that might make me think that he had a little bit of an avoidant side to him. He had this aunt figure. We don't know much about that relationship. So again, this is all just kind of my initial impressions. I'd have to really talk to him to know this for sure. But children who don't have their parents around for whatever reason, they're absent or abusive or whatever the case may be, often end up times developing an avoidant attachment style, which means that they haven't been taught that vulnerability is safe. So they have more trouble expressing their needs. So it makes sense to me that when you gave him the floor to express his needs, he kept wanting to, you know, he knew that he needed to, but then when he had the opportunity it was hard for him, it sounds like, to actually say it. And that's because for avoidant people, they learn to self-soothe because they don't trust vulnerability. They don't trust the other person's really going to safely hear what they have to say for what multiple reasons this can happen. So they go and turn into themselves. And so it can be very difficult for them to express how they're feeling. And so what ends up happening is they get kind of overwhelmed emotionally and they tend to withdraw emotionally a little bit. And so it's very possible that because you were secure and you were very much open about what you wanted and expressing your emotions and, you know, everything that had kind of initially made you both want to be together because it sounded like he initially wanted that. And he probably did want that. But avoidant people tend to get overwhelmed with too much intimacy and then they withdraw. And so even though you have it seems a a generally secure attachment style, it's possible, you know, our attachment styles, they're not a diagnosis and they're not something that is trying to sum us up so much as help us understand where our emotions are coming from. And they're also not fixed. So many people, about 70% of people have the same attachment style throughout their lives from the time they're two years old until, you know, the rest of their lives. About 30% of people can dramatically shift their attachment styles. But a lot of people in between have a core style that can kind of exist along a spectrum. So meaning that maybe you're generally have a secure way of approaching things and feeling, but it's possible that certain relationships can kind of trigger another style in us. And that's particularly possible with maybe someone who's avoidant can kind of start bringing out a more anxious side of you. And so I just kind of want to backtrack. You had said, I believe this was your first kind of bigger romantic relationship. Is that right? Yeah. But, um, but you had said, I think that you had had other close friendships previously that maybe were a little similar. Yeah. I can think of like specifically one friendship that there's a similar pattern. Like I can see the the similarities in that friendship. Did they kind of withdraw emotionally a little yes, bit? And when conflict, you know, arose, I would try to just ask, like, you know, how are you feeling? What's happening? Like, let's talk about it and figure it out so we can save the friendship. And yeah, I feel like also chose kind of walking away over like facing that and figuring it out. You know, like I would have loved to be there for her if I knew how to. Right, right. And then so that friendship kind of ended in that way of her walking away. And, and you said it took you a little while to kind of get over that. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, I haven't talked to her in years and it's still with me. 
Yeah. I think back to her, like things remind me of her. Sometimes I want to be in contact with her, but I want to respect, you know, her choice to walk away. So yeah, which totally makes sense because we don't build attachments exclusively with romantic partners. It starts with parents and significant friendships make a difference. So it's possible that, you know, that was a first significant relationship where because she had some avoidant tendencies, it started to create a little anxiety in you. Mm -hmm. And so now in this relationship, even though you were secure within the relationship when you knew he was there, mm -hmm. as he started to become maybe a little more emotionally distant, it sounds like it maybe created like or re-triggered a little bit of the anxiety you started feeling with her. Yeah. Um, does that sound? Absolutely. Like, like honestly, I, I have been feeling, I'll say, I feel like this is like a cliche, but like I've been feeling crazy because I yeah. was such a different person inside of the relationship than the person who I am going through the breakup from that same relationship, if that makes sense. Like, I, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not handling it as well as I would have expected to, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And so here's the thing about the combination of anxious and avoidant people. First of all, they take up the most of the dating pool because secure people tend to pair off more often and they're the dominant insecure styles. And they actually attract each other because where avoidant people can be emotionally distant, when we're anxious or even secure, secure people too provide a warmth that the avoidant person doesn't have or like an emotional grounding. And so there's an attraction there because you can give that emotional grounding and you maybe like to, or, you know, you seem like you are very, um, you know how to create a safe space for someone and you can really hold someone in that, you know, and that makes a great partner and, and is probably very attractive and was very attractive to your ex. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening is that as the avoidant person starts to feel overwhelmed and they start to distance themselves emotionally, even if they're still physically showing up, it triggered that anxious part of you. And then the thing that is hard for the anxious person is that the anxious people, I myself am anxious, so I relate very much to this. And this loop of avoidant and anxious is a huge reason why I even got into this work because I was in these perpetual relationships where I felt like I cared more and I was more attached. And it's because what ends up happening is Anxious people need reassurance, mm -hmm. you know, going back to their parenting. If we had one inconsistent parent who was sometimes available and sometimes not, then we're always waiting for them to withdraw. And so we're always trying to kind of like be validated that they're still there, that they're not going to mm -hmm. leave. And so when you've been triggered with anxiety and you're feeling anxious, what calms that, which actually it's actually biological and we have something called an attachment system and we have different hormones that get flared up when we're feeling like the person we're attached to is not there or they're separating from mm -hmm. us. And so what calms that is the reassurance, whereas an avoidant person will self-soothe and they don't look to someone else for that reassurance. We look to other people for that reassurance and to calm our attachment system. And so because I think you mentioned that you were talking to him on and mm -hmm. off, trying to break up with him up until February, mm -hmm. right? And in that cycle, did you find that you needed something from him that he wasn't giving yeah, you. Absolutely. And it felt like he didn't need anything from me. It felt like if I wasn't the one reaching back out to him, it would just be over, which is so confusing because like I said, I really one who yeah. needed to decide that it was over, you know? So if I'm right. ending the relationship right. and walking away, why am I also the one going back? Because he's not giving you the reassurance yeah. you need. And that's what starts making you feel crazy is wait, you wanted to commit to me 
you were with me for two years. You, you know, said X, Y, and Z. You said you wanted to be with me, but your actions are not matching up with your words. And the way that you're acting towards me, your emotional availability is not matching up with what you said. And how consistent someone is and showing up and matching the consistency of their actions and words is also a big part of what determines their attachment style. So it makes sense to me that he is not consistent in what he's saying he wants and how he's acting. Mm -hmm. He wants a relationship, which is why he didn't leave you. But because he doesn't know how to emotionally step up, it's kind of like he will continue on to be with you and doesn't want to break up with you. But he also can't give you what he needs. And the thing about avoidant people too sometimes is that they have a core, it's called a core wound. So with anxious people, our core wound is feeling unworthy of love or a fear of rejection or abandonment. And with avoidant people, the core wound is kind of feeling defective. Like they don't know how to love because they don't know how to be vulnerable and intimate with people. And so it's possible that when he had that opportunity to say his needs and be close with you, there's like maybe this like subconscious voice in him that thinks he's not going to be able to. And so sometimes they would rather just go into themselves and let you leave them than have to try and fail. You know what I mean? And so it's this weird thing where it feels super personal but it's actually not personal at all. It's actually totally about them and not you, you know? And I know that's so hard when you're in love with someone and when you've had a romantic relationship to not take it personally. But that's the very first thing I can tell you to start maybe trying to remind yourself is that this is all a very human biological pattern that's playing out here and it's not personal to you. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that attachment because it's biological and that feeling inside of you, even though your mind knows that you want to move on, it's this like deep physical feeling of attachment, right? And that he's not giving you what you need. And so it's almost like your body and your subconscious just keep wanting to go back to him so that he can, what was it you told me that you wanted, if you could get anything from him right now, you said on our pre-call, can you remind me what that was? Oh my gosh, I feel like it's so many things, but I just want like I wanted to see some remorse. Like, I just wanted to see that, like, I wanted him to see that I'm hurt. And yeah, I wanted that to make some sort of a difference. I guess I don't really know how to explain it, but it is true that I am hurt by what we went through. And I just wanted to come to some type of resolution in a conversation that was like, this didn't work. You know, this didn't work and we can accept right. that and we can walk away like with love. Yeah. So what you need, it sounds to me, is an acknowledgement yeah. that, you know, that we meant something to each other and that this happened. And you said it so beautifully to accept it and walk away with love. And so realistically, you may never get that acknowledgement from him, not because he didn't feel for you, but because he's probably emotionally not mm -hmm. capable of it. And that that exact issue is what continued to play out within your relationship over and over and over again is you needing some kind of emotional acknowledgement that he wasn't able to give you. And so I know this might not sound easy and it definitely takes some time. And, and I know that you had said at one point, like, I just wish that all the feelings I'm feeling could just go away right now. You know, like I could just skip to the end. But what the truth is you're grieving and, and grief, just like when we lose someone who passes away, grief is a very real thing. And when we break up with someone who we're attached to, you literally feel like your heart is breaking, like you can't breathe. All of those things, the experiences you feel when someone passes away, your body is going through the same things when you lose someone who you're attached to when you break 
break up with them. You know, I wish I could flick a magic wand and say, okay, move Mm -hmm. on. You're fine. But it really is a process. And if the last time you spoke to him was just February, which is not even a month ago, that is a very short amount of time. I mean, I've heard it said that for you to truly get over someone, it takes about half the time you were together at the very least, which means you have about, you know, 11 more months, you know, ahead of you. That doesn't mean, though, that these 11 months are going to feel the same. I think that having a new perspective and kind of allowing yourself to grieve is going to make a big difference. So I'm curious, kind of up until now, what have you been doing to kind of deal with the breakup? Yeah, well, so, you know, you talked about how it physically like feels like your heart breaking and all of that. And for me, it's like the longer that I go without talking to him, it feels like the deeper I get into this like kind of abyss of nothingness which is like so dark but it really just feels like the more distance I have from him the more I just feel like I'm floating and I'm not grounded Mm. so so I continue I mean I have ways that are like tried and true of grounding myself so that's what I keep trying to I'm like, okay, this is how I'm feeling. I literally mm-hmm. feel like I'm looking for the ground. I'm looking to like touch the chair that I'm sitting with. Okay, no, I'm supported. You know what I mean? It's that feeling of like needing to know that I'm not just floating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so my ways of kind of dealing with that feeling are like, well, I'm, I'm a mover. Um, and so movement is, you know, 100%. Like I'll go to a yoga practice. I'll write in my journal. I'll put on music. Um, creative outlets absolutely work for me. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like, I'm also not trying to cover up or distract myself from the way that I'm feeling, you know, so I, I'm at this place where I'm kind of toggling between like, okay, I really need to ground myself right now with this practice. But let me not overdo it, because Mm -hmm. I do need to feel what I'm feeling. And that's how it's going to get resolved by not avoiding it. And it's really hard when you're going through it to determine or to be able to tell like which one you're doing. Are you avoiding the feelings or are you doing the necessary work of grounding yourself? Right, right. Yeah. And what I would say, I think that's all really great. I would say that it's um, it's something to maybe not mm-hmm. do at the same time, which I know there might be an impulse to ground yourself and to move on. But I think that will come mm-hmm. with time. But to really leave space for the leaning into the emotion part, you know, and I, I know we talked briefly about non-attachment and yoga and, you know, in Buddhist philosophy, non-attachment mm-hmm. is important, but it helps you kind of get to enlightenment, the idea that we can let go of anything. But it's at odds sometimes because I get this question a lot. It's at odds with this idea of attachment, which is biologically mm-hmm. programmed in us, right? So how do you deal with that? And my feelings about that is that when I think of non-attachment, I think of not being attached to a certain mm-hmm. outcome. And especially with anxious attachment styles, kind of what differentiate them between secures, which you have a bit of both in you, right? Because you're triggered right now. I'm considering you anxious within the context of this relationship, right? Is that we become preoccupied with the end, right? Like when you said, I want to just get to the end. But I would encourage you to not skip Mm -hmm. to the end, you know, and to not focus on where you want to be, but to really live in the present moment. Because when we're too focused on moving on, like if you're too focused on the grounding, I mean, grounding in and of itself mm-hmm. is not a problem. Grounding every day is great. You know, doing your movement. I would continue to do that. But mentally, not doing it for the purpose of getting to the end where mm-hmm. you don't feel it anymore. I don't know if maybe that's what's in your head when you're doing it, but really coming at it from the perspective of 
I'm going to be present today. And whatever emotion comes up for me, I'm going to lean into and I'm going to let my body fully feel it. Because what we resist persists. And that's where Buddha thought, you know, most of the suffering in the world comes from our kind of trying to avoid Mm -hmm. suffering, you know, and that we're either always in a state of craving or aversion where we want something or we're trying to avoid something. And there's a meditation called Vipassana, which I actually, I've taken a Vipassana meditation retreat and I created a guided meditation around it, which I can totally Mm -hmm. give you after this if you want. Um, that just really teaches you to be present and lean into your feelings. And that said, there's stages of grief. Um, I'm actually with a friend of mine doing a workshop. She's teaching a workshop on grief at the end of April. And she lost her mother at a very young age. And so she was telling me about this and I researched it more. And there are stages we have to go through in order to grieve. And so it starts with denial, you know, and then we move into anger And then we have bargaining, which is kind of trying to justify going back to them. So maybe anytime you go back to him, you're in the bargaining stage. And then there's depression and then there's acceptance. And so I don't know if you can identify like maybe what stage you're at. They're not always in the same order. You don't always go in that perfect order. I have a client who has been stuck between bargaining and depression, letting go of a relationship for a while. And she'll kind of bargain and justify it. And then she'll go into depression and not talk to him and she'll be depressed for a while. And then the depression becomes too much and she'll go back to bargaining and rationalizing Mm -hmm. why she's going to go back to him. So I don't know if that sounds familiar to you or if you like identify with any of those stages Yeah, absolutely bargaining. And I think for me, that's when I'm like, okay, well maybe we could just have a conversation where we resolve this, you know? And that for me is not trying to get back together I just need that acknowledgement, like you were saying, like, that's what I feel like I need. And so when I start to get in that thought cycle, that's totally me being in that bargaining kind of stage. And Mm -hmm. I think for me, I mean, like, as we're talking about how when I'm triggered, I have an anxious attachment style. Mm -hmm. I absolutely Mm -hmm. connect with that, like 100%. And I think that instead of depression, it becomes anxiety. Like that next stage after bargaining feels like Mm -hmm. thinking about the future, you know, it it feels like, well, how can I correct this? That's why I want to learn everything. You know, I'm like, I need solutions. I need answers. And sure, it's helpful. And that's a huge part of just like how I approach my life. Um, Mm -hmm. But absolutely, I just go to like, okay, well, I need a solution and I need to fix it. And it does keep me from wanting to go back because then my mind is on, you know, the future and it's on thinking about how I'm going to approach dating in general after this. What have I learned from this so that I can take it with me moving forward? But mm-hmm. like I said, it's like it's out of anxiety because it's so fresh. It's almost right. too soon to be putting my brain there because I'm skipping steps along the way. So it's anxiety rather than yes. being actually where I should be in the process. Exactly. And the thing is, part of learning and part of getting over this is being able to see the lessons in it. That is important, you know, and that will come in time, though. That's just not the time for it right now, you know, and I think that that's kind of sometimes the problem with people skip to looking for the lessons for something. And it's like lessons tend to come a little bit more in retrospect. When we're in the present, we have to really honor the present. Most spiritual practices tell you that the answers are in the present. And that also applies to relationships and to the relationship with ourselves, which means that like, you know, for instance, the dynamic between you and your ex, the issue is that he can't be Mm -hmm. presently emotional. 
Like he can't be vulnerable mm-hmm. in the present moment. And that's mm-hmm. where connection happens. And so in the same way, if you're not being present in the moment with your feelings, because you're eager to get over them, then that connection and that healing mm-hmm. can't take place, you know? So that said, there are two things happening. First, I do think that you need to allow yourself or what I would suggest, I don't want to say you need to, but I would encourage you to kind of maybe within your journal, notice where you're at in your head that day on those stages of grief. And afterwards, I can email those to you so you can have them to look at. But where are you at? And are you allowing yourself to get to that depression phase? Mm Because I think that's one people avoid. And that might be the most important one to lean into. Have you sufficiently expressed your anger? You know, and are there ways you can express your anger more? Because the catharsis Mm -hmm. really is important. I think it's great that you're journaling, continue doing that. But in that journaling and in that reflection, I would just kind of stay aware of what stage am I in right now? And am I letting myself Mm -hmm. get to the depression stage? I actually recently created a playlist of 40 songs. And I think there's like one or two bonus tracks called Healing Heartbreak. And it's all the most epic breakup songs that you could think of. You said you were listening to music and I didn't know if that included Mm -hmm. sad songs, but I know that whenever I broke up with someone, I like created a cave for myself and I would go in there and it would be dark and I would literally play every song that would just make Mm -hmm. me cry my eyes out. And I would just kind of be depressed for a few days and not because I knew that it was stages of grieving, but because I could feel that I needed to feel the sadness because if we push it down, it's going to linger on, you know? So those are my suggestions around that. The other piece of this, which is the bargaining piece and which is that reassurance, that acknowledgement piece you've been referring to, that one is the hardest part because that is a very real thing Mm -hmm. to feel like we need that acknowledgement. So in knowing that you might not get it from him, there's a couple things. First, I think there could be some ways for you to try and rather than looking for that acknowledgement in him and that reassurance to try and self-soothe and to give it to yourself. So kind of making a list of, or writing out the things that you really wish you could hear from him, because at the root of these things, a lot of the time is fear. So I don't know if you could actively uncover, like, what is it I'm afraid of? You know, Um, again, when we're anxious, a lot of times that core wound is feeling unworthy, you know, so is there a fear maybe rooted at the bottom of this that I'm not worthy of being loved or I'm not worthy of being told that I was Mm -hmm. important to someone, you know, and then whatever that root fear is for you at the bottom of him not acknowledging it, you know, that need, is there a way for you to give it to yourself for you to say that to yourself in some kind of mantra or in your journal and not just once, but regularly and get in the habit of when that feeling creeps Mm -hmm. up that you need that from him. Can you give it to yourself? Because that is what shifts us into being more secure. And that is the difference between secure attachments and insecure attachments is that secure people tend to know how to Mm self-soothe and be vulnerable with other people. So that's the piece Mm -hmm. that I think will be really helpful for you. And another way to help this, and you said it so beautifully before, is can we just move on with acceptance and love? And so what I would say is, yes, but that you don't need him for that. You know, I don't know if you ever read the book Eat, Pray, Love. It, It was a movie with Julia Roberts. And while I love Julia Roberts... I do Mm -hmm. believe that most books are better than movies. And the scene in the book, basically she had gotten divorced and it ended up being a really ugly divorce. And she was in India and she was studying at this ashram and she was on this rooftop and was trying to let go of her ex. But she knew that there would never be this Mm -hmm. peaceful resolution between them. 
And so she just pictured them as two blue lights. And she imagined this conversation where they said all the things that she always wished they could say to each other. And I thought that was such a beautiful moment because if you, again, going back to this idea that when someone dies, we're not always able to say this to them. And we really need to think of this breakup as someone dying because in a way they have, you know, and accepting that. And I think that if you can imagine that conversation and then send him light and send him love, there's actually something called a meta meditation, which I can send you after as well. And it's basically all about being able to focus on that person and sending them love and sending them happiness and kind of learning to accept that this happened for me because this is my path. And like you said, looking at future relationships, your future relationships, you're going to have learned mm -hmm. so much from this experience. And in time, mm -hmm. this will all make sense, you know? But for now, it's kind of just a little bit of radical acceptance. That's another Buddhist concept of accepting all things as they are and knowing that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. And even though it might feel painful, it might not feel good. The only path to moving forward is accepting where we are right now. You know, if you think about like walking up a staircase, we don't begrudge the, you know, step in the middle just because we're not at the last one, right? We appreciate that the step is in the middle mm -hmm. to help us get to the end, right? So these aren't like quick answers, of course, because this isn't mm -hmm. a quick situation. But just know that your head is in the right place in being open and honest about how you feel and to just keep doing what you're doing, but just lean into those feelings more, which might feel scary, but that mm -hmm. you're totally capable of. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any questions about any uh, of that? Or I guess just like some imagery came to my mind, like where like, you know, a mess is made and your instinct is to like clean it up and like put it behind you. But this feels like when I keep going back to um, acknowledging my emotions and the things I'm looking for, it just feels like I'm making the mess again. Like it just feels like I just keep making the mess, but I want that mess to just mm -hmm. be cleaned up. Even in throughout the course of this conversation, it's like, I feel like I came here. I showed up so much more composed than I am now after having this conversation, you know, and talking about the feelings. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh, now there's so much there that has to be sorted and looked at and felt. And there's a lot emotionally that needs to like, yeah, just like you, you want to put it back away. Totally. And what I would say to that is that if you can keep doing your grounding practices that keep you in the present moment and that being present is the most important thing because our minds want to jump ahead to the bigger picture especially as women. Women biologically have four times more anxiety than men because we had to be on the lookout for our young back in the day. That's why women are really good at seeing, we're good at little details, but we also are constantly painting this bigger picture for ourselves. And so I would really, really encourage you more than any of these things. Well, it's all going to come from being present. I don't have the luxury of working through these emotions, you know, at my leisure, it feels like. Sometimes it feels like I have to work through this. I have to become emotionally stable. I have to get really clear on what I'm looking for. And then I have to find a healthy relationship all in time to be able to have kids. You know what I mean? Like it. Yes. That's a lot of pressure. Look, I'm going to be 36 this year and I got married this year. So I am very acutely aware of having babies and the pressure and all that stuff. And I can tell you that it was a waste of my time feeling afraid of that because it will happen in time. I don't know your age, but. Don't let the, again, the preoccupation with the future color your journey right now, you know? And I know it sounds like a cliche, like, you know, to enjoy the process and experience the journey. It's all about the journey, not the destination. But that is 
so true. And the only way for you to get to that healthy relationship and to get to that place you want to be is to truly lean into and love your human process. You know, heartbreak is one of the most human experiences we can have, and it deserves to be honored in that way, you know? And so if there are like, you know, little ceremonies you can do, burning, you know, something of his, literally anything that you need to feel it and process it and to not be afraid of the mess, like you said, because, you know, on a certain level, there's always going to be a mess. You know, let's say you get to that healthy relationship and you have kids on time. Do you know how many messes kids create that you can't necessarily clean up right then? You know, there's always in the background, a certain level of stress or chaos or emotions that we always have. And being secure and being healthy is being able to kind of know those things exist and still be able to get up every day and kind of be okay without it being perfect. And I feel like we're all, you know, especially in our society, we're very much programmed to try and fit things into these nice little boxes and these nice little timelines. And that causes a lot of pain in life because we're putting our judgments Mm -hmm. of where we think we should be on ourselves instead of learning from what we're going through and letting Mm -hmm. that lead us. You know, it sounds a little bit to me Mm -hmm. like you're judging yourself for feeling messy you know, or like that there's something wrong with you because you're feeling scattered. But the truth is like, again, that's why I got into this work and attachment work, because when you're in relationships and your emotions are all over the place and you have no frame of reference to understand where it's coming from, you do start to feel crazy. And so like, can you basically with these practices, with journaling, with leaning into your emotions, can you create a container for the messiness basically? You know, you're allowing the messiness to exist, the craziness, the feelings, but maybe you only, Mm -hmm. you allow them like once a day. So I read uh, the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which changed so much for me Mm -hmm. because I knew that I was afraid of going no contact, like committing to no contact with my ex. Like that felt scary to me. Again, it felt like that feeling of like going into the abyss. But then when I read that, like, you know, part of the human experience is feeling the full range of emotions. We're not just meant to feel the good. We're also meant to feel the heartache. And so I actually got feel it all tattooed right. on to my wrist. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm like, I know this. I can feel the pain. I can move on. I'll be a different person by the end of it. Like I will come out on the other side, changed, stronger. It's so necessary. Mm-hmm. But then it's just like that process has been, okay, I'm not talking to him. I'm doing great, but I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling worried. I'm feeling, you know, it's like all of these uncomfortable feelings come up and I sit with them and I sit with them and I sit with them and I'm feeling them. And then it's like this instinct to protect myself comes back in, which also might be what brings me back to the bargaining stage because it's this like wrong kind of like Mm -hmm. there's this message coming through that says like, go back to him because not being with him is causing you this heartbreak right now, you know, but I, but I know that that's not the right thing to do. And I am clear on that's not a healthy relationship. We are not meant to be together. And like I said, I have no desire to be with him again. It's just that, um, the way that it ended is so hard for me to keep being okay with and that it still hurts and it still hurts and it still hurts. Right. And then I keep wanting to go back to find that resolution because of this instinct to protect myself. But that's not how to protect myself. So in those moments, first of all, sitting with your emotion is great. But is there also a way that you can channel it with writing or with 
I guess listening to music is part of sitting with it, but it, it takes you somewhere else than just being in your own thoughts. You know, I would also encourage you if you have friends or family to go to, like having people Mm -hmm. right now is really great and supportive. But yes, every time you go back to him, it makes it harder for yourself. And I think I found that when people have those Mm -hmm. kinds of relationships where they start and stop and start and stop, Mm -hmm. it's particularly harder to get over them. Because what's happening is oxytocin is what's considered the love hormone or the attachment hormone. And women, especially, we produce more oxytocin. We produce it when we have babies. We produce it when we have sex. Mm -hmm. Men produce it when they have sex too, but we have higher levels of it. And even just hearing their voice or, you know, hugging someone makes us release oxytocin. So when you've already had a relationship with someone, you're literally addicted to a drug. And so if you think of it like a drug addict in this way, each time you have a relapse, It just makes you start from stage one again. I mean, sometimes you maybe you can skip ahead a little faster than you used to, but physically your body ends up being reattached again and then it makes it harder to get over. And so because you've done that so many times, I feel like you're reaching this stage where Mm -hmm. it's going to get really dark for a little while, but it's like this test of like, if you can get over Mm -hmm. that next really painful phase, then you've kind of are breaking that pattern of going back again. And so in those moments when you're feeling your darkest, can you think about the good things that you're taking from the relationship? I don't want to say lessons, Mm -hmm. but like, are there things you can appreciate? And can you send him love at those moments? And can you just kind of, I don't know, sometimes it sounds weird, but I felt like missing someone felt better than being with them because I didn't have to deal with the reality of them. I could just sit and appreciate what I really loved about them and feel that Mm -hmm. and sit in missing that, you know, and almost let Mm -hmm. that comfort you, if that makes sense, you know? So it doesn't mean like, don't think about him. You know, if it makes you feel better to picture him holding you for a little while, I think that's okay. You know, if that's going to bring you comfort, but let that be the thing that brings you comfort rather than the actual him. You know what I mean? And I'll give you this meditation of sending him happiness and sending him love in those darkest moments to recenter you and to remind you of your purpose, which is to move forward and to, like you said, Mm -hmm. your ultimate goal is to leave with acceptance and love and Mm -hmm. and to give yourself that permission and to have compassion Mm -hmm. for yourself in this human experience. Because in doing Mm -hmm. it, you will remind yourself you're capable of moving through it. And each time that you avoid it, Mm-hmm. You kind of tell yourself, I can't do this, yeah. but you can. So before we go, I'd love for you to tell me three things you're going to do differently moving forward after oh, this Oh, gosh. Call. Okay. Um, so self-soothing in general. I don't know exactly what it is you're talking about. You know, you're, you're saying things like, um, what were you not getting from him that, that you're needing that you could then give to yourself? That's a great question. Because I don't really know, you know, mm-hmm. like emotions come up, like there are certain feelings that I know that I've wanted to feel with him in the relationship inside of the relationship that I wasn't like ways that I wasn't able to feel with him. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that would be like a place to start. Yes, exactly. Because self-soothing basically is when you have a need, rather than looking to someone else for it, you're looking to yourself. So again, going back to this core wound idea, there's a great marriage counselor and therapist named Sue Johnson, and she believes that every issue within a relationship comes down to an attachment issue. And attachment comes down to our core wounds. So in every discussion you have, in every every kind of interaction you have with your partner, it's coming down to, do you love me? Am I safe with you? Am I worthy of love? And so what are the words that are going to soothe you so that you start to feel like 
I am worthy. Maybe being able to tell yourself you're a human, you're allowed to feel like you need attention. You're human. You're allowed to feel like you want to be loved. Does that make sense? Okay. So self-soothing. And then are there two more? Yeah. It's so interesting that it's like hard to put some of these things into words, but that space that we were talking about where like, I have to really push through that, that hump, you know, of really like embracing the heartache, like being there at the deepest, deepest point of the hurt Mm -hmm. of the separation. I have to let myself get to that point where like, yeah, I'm really not going back. I'm really not going back for a conversation. I'm not going back to seek that acknowledgement. I'm not going back at all. I'm not getting that from him. And so I have to keep pushing through that discomfort, that pain, that desire to go back. Yes. And have you let go of any connection to him in terms of like, have you deleted his phone number? Have you defriended him? Have you stopped following him? I would do all of those things, which Mm -hmm. I know can feel scary but they are going to be super helpful. I've done it. And then I've undone it. I've been like, no, like I'm committed. Like his phone number is gone. I were not friends on any social media or anything. And then I've had this like voice in my head saying like, no, like he's a person that you love. Like you can't, you can't cut them off like that. Like you need to be there for them. Have the designated person you go to when you feel the need to reach out and you reach out to them and tell them so that they can remind you. (laughs) not to. Thank you. I've made really good progress. It's just now instead of the actual desire to reach out, it's like I just haven't made that final step of like deleting his phone number again and it all being gone. You know what I mean? Like I've made significant progress with that, which feels good. But I'm like, again, I need to push through that hump of really being like, no, never. It's never happening again. Right. And having a plan in place, though, I think that that makes a really big difference. What are some things you can do in those moments? Who are the people you can turn to? Who are the people who can reinforce that you don't want to do it? You know, in that moment, what are some songs or Mm -hmm. some movies or some, you know, activities that you can turn to? Because if you're just left to your own devices, you're going to get that floaty feeling again. Who are the people that ground you? What are the things that ground you? And again, going back to the self-soothing, what are the mantras you can say to yourself to make yourself feel better, you know, educating myself more. Like that's again, what like, you know, brought me to you is knowledge and power. And the more that I, the more that I know, the less personally I can take things, which has already been the case. Like even that's what, you know, reading Untamed did for me. Just gave me this like larger frame of like these universal traits. Like this is, this is true for all of us. We all experience this. There's so many layers to being human. So I I just, the more I know, the way that I've felt and moved through life (laughs) can start to kind of match up with this knowledge, you know? I'm seeing the rainbow, you know, the the more you know. Do you remember that? Um, But it's so true. And that's what it was for me. That's why learning about attachment theory, it connects us to our humanity. We think that we're these unique beings going through this Mm -hmm. unique process. And we are, of course, unique snowflakes to a degree, but it's so liberating and comforting to realize that we're not the first person. And actually, when we're breaking up with people or when we have heartache, that, you know, the stages of grief, that we all have these very human patterns Mm -hmm. and things that we do that connect us to other people that can understand us and have gone through the same process. Mm -hmm. And that if those people have been able to move on, so can you, you know? Mm -hmm. So yes, I think those are three great action steps for you. And just remembering that this is a process. And to allow yourself the time. Mm-hmm. And I know that in this fast-paced world, that can feel really challenging. But mm-hmm. to just remind yourself that it's a day-by-day thing. 
And that coming back to what can I do in this moment right now? Forgetting all future relationships or where I want things to be, what can I do right now to either lean mm-hmm. into this if I can't ignore it or to yeah. make myself feel better in this moment? Thank you. You're like a goddess sent from above. Like we're talking <laughs> about, because this is, like I said, it's a human experience. Everyone experiences this. But how come we don't all have the tools to navigate? You know, and so here you are providing tools right. to work through something that is one of the most challenging things you can experience in your life. So thank you. You're welcome. I'm glad. I'm glad I could be here for you. And I hope that it all helps. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk and you'll keep me posted about it all. Okay. And thank you so much for trusting me with your heart yeah. and thank you. being willing to share it all. Thank you for listening to the Truer Love Stories podcast. If you'd like to share your personal love story and have me coach you on air, please email me at hello at truerlove.com. And if you enjoyed listening to today's episode, your support would mean so much to me. Please make sure to subscribe on Spotify as well as follow me on Instagram at underscore truerlove underscore. You can also join my mailing list and book a free love guidance consultation with me at truerlove.com. In the meantime, stay true to yourself and talk to you soon.